Welcome to the Irish Tech News Podcast, where we will bring you some of the most interesting interviews and features from the world of tech. Visit irishtechnews.ie and check out our podcast section to explore all of our previous episodes. You can subscribe to our podcast using whatever your favourite app or service is by visiting anchor.fm forward slash irish dash tech dash news. Hello and welcome to the show with me, Gillian Gotsell. Today, I'm very excited to discuss a new project out of the UK called Project New Era. And with me on the show to discuss this project, it's all about retail CBDCs and stable coins and, and how can we actually make uh, retail fit in with government. And it's just, it's, it's all this exciting world of uh, digital currencies. It's Paul Cisnet, who is the co-founder and CEO of SMD Group, which also includes paywith.glass, which is the technical lead. And then we have Kunal Janjay, who is the MD partner and global lead for networks and market infrastructure at Boston Consulting Group, who is an advisor to the project. So Project New Era, it's a good name. It's very exciting. Paul, what is it all about? Ah, thanks for having me. Uh, so effectively, Project New Era is a private-public partnership uh, arrangement to demonstrate what a digital currency and eventually CBDC ecosystem environment and economy could look like for the UK. And uh, what's most important is that uh, as a private-public partnership, it's not just one company and government partners, it is multiple industry partners, so it's an industry-led uh, initiative, uh, working closely with the regulators and, 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 uh, and other authorities to make sure that there is an informed decision when it comes to regulatory plans and, uh, and legislative changes that will be, need to be made in the future uh, to permit CBDCs to become legal tender and to, you know, to spur adoption in the future. So the idea here is that um, we're examining the, uh, through use cases, we're examining uh, what this environment would look like, what are the risks involved in doing this, uh, both from the macroeconomic side of things as well as from the technology side, uh, you know, aspects such as uh, cybersecurity and resilience and so forth, uh, adoption, ease of use, uh, integration. It, it's the full stack and it's meant to be done over a two-year period where we'll actually have a full, fully simulated environment that can support all forms of digital currencies and eventually a CBDC. Brilliant. So Kunal, if I can bring you in here now, um, Paul has already said it's got cross-industry support. Who are, who's actually involved with this project? Gillian, thank you for having me on this. Uh, it's very exciting to be speaking to you. Um, the, the, so Project New Era, as, uh, as Paul described as a public-private partnership, we have some real interesting and um, market-leading participants, right from IBM for providing their cloud solutions to Finastra, to Trust Payments, Inclusive, Accomplish, who are all going to provide some really expert solutions as part of the infrastructure that Project New Era aims to sort of develop over the next 18 to 24 months, which is an infrastructure uh, that we call digital FMI or DFMI, fit for a future retail CBDC in the UK. And is it, it's going to position UK at the forefront of how a retail CBDC infrastructure should be implemented to realize the full potential of uh, a retail CBDC. And the participants uh, to, the, to this pilot as part of the consortium that is being put together, is the list is going to grow uh, because we are in close conversation with many leading uh, players in the payments and financial services space um, uh, to be playing their part right from commercial banks to large uh, payments organizations who are uh, interested and in at very advanced stages 
of uh, joining the consortium to provide their solutions and set uh, as part of the pilot. That's interesting. I get the breadth of um, organizations that are, are going to get involved. Um, because is, is, is this project unique? I mean, there are other projects here in the UK, the uh, Digital Pound Foundation, for example, doing um, advocacy. So what is unique about Project New Era, Paul? Uh, one of the key differentiators here is the fact that uh, many of the other projects in the space are more or less think tank projects. They're, they're, you know, they're looking at this from a theoretical standpoint. There's lots of research and it's very good research. It's very good work being done. But uh, we thought there should be something a bit more hands-on because this is a very new space. There are a lot of unknowns. Uh, you can theorize until the cows come home, but uh, unless you actually put pen to paper, you know, until the rubber meets the road, you don't actually know what you don't know. You don't know what can go wrong. You don't know what you need to consider. Uh, so the idea is to actually do a practical pilot during this time, uh, somewhat sandbox environment, but is still, uh, you know, carrying live transactions. It's a real uh, environment as far as, you know, as close as possible to a CBDC environment without actually issuing a CBDC. Um, so the idea here is that uh, there will be a private stablecoin issued. Uh, the big differentiator here is that that stablecoin sits in the place of a CBDC because the CBDC requires issuance by the central bank. And because it's a private uh, sector initiative, uh, we can't issue our own CBDC. But the idea is that we're making this stablecoin uh, as reliable as possible by having the assets that back it held in uh, you know, a central bank reserve account. So it's a one-to-one -one back in. So for all intents and purposes, it behaves exactly like a CBDC would, where we can test the full infrastructure. Okay, you answered my question there. I was kind of wondering, you know, is it a stable coin or is it, is it I mean, because where does the, the CB fit in? So you're going to try and emulate as if you were a, a central bank and operate along those principles. Okay, that makes sense. Um, and what kind of impacts do you think you're going to have on, on um, if this project in looking at how a central bank, I mean, obviously private um, uh, organizations have certain ways, they have, they have, different, they have different requirements to government-led initiatives. So what kind of impacts do you think you're going to have on CBDC thinking, perhaps? Paul, I'll ask that of you again, please. Sorry, I was muted there. Uh, so effectively, I think the idea here is that we want to form a blueprint for what a retail CBDC environment could look like. And uh, by you know by running this pilot in the UK, it gives the UK the opportunity to sort of lead the world in the retail CBDC space, uh, you know, at least in the Western world, to kind of show what's possible. It would be the first of the G7s to have access to this data. It will also make uh, uh, it would the UK regulators will be able to make very informed decisions on policy, very informed decisions on the legislation that needs to be changed. Uh, everything from the uh, taking into consideration resilience, reliability, uh, you know, what's required for CBDC infrastructure in the real world, to cons consumer protections, to what are the possibilities when it comes to interoperability with, with legacy solutions, interoperability with other currencies. This is an opportunity to create the, the blueprint for the rest of the world. That's interesting. If I, I, like if I may add, Gillian, to, uh, to some of the points that uh, Paul mentioned, I think um, to your question around central banks and how they could benefit from the pilot, the, the core objective of the pilot is to essentially uh, um, look at and prove some of the design principles that the green paper that was published in Feb in 2022 um, outlined as core to a future retail CBDC. Importantly, there are some real fundamental topics of debate in the market as part of those design principles. So namely, bank disintermediation as a result of the introduction of retail CBDC, um, data privacy, making sure that the, the principles of data privacy and consumer data protection are enshrined in the way 
retail CBDCs and future digital currencies ecosystem is developed in the UK. Thirdly, the whole point around cybersecurity and resilience, because this essentially is a systemically important infrastructure of the future um, that the central banks are going to have to create. So that resilience and cybersecurity aspect is going to be incredibly important to take into consideration. And then finally, that the, the programmability, in addition to the interoperability point that Paul mentioned, programmability point of the infrastructure is going to be very important because that is where a lot of the future innovation is going to come from to realize the potential of a retail CBDC. So all of these design principles are going to be quite important for the central banks to have a view on. And the pilot itself is going to provide empirical view on each of the design principles so that the central banks, as well as the regulators and importantly policymakers as well, have a very clear view on the sort of infrastructure that will be required in the UK and the role of each of those authorities in the future uh, digital financial market infrastructure space in the UK. Interesting. Now, just, I'm wondering about your timing, because obviously last week uh, saw the explosion, implosion, we call it, of UST um, and the you know twenty million being uh, billion being wiped off the whole crypto market. I mean, do you think stable coins can can recover? I know there's an algo uh, stable coin, but do you think it's are stable coins you know you know bad news or how can you get around that? I think uh, I th to some extent, I think it's it's been a uh, it's been a, 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 an outcome which is gonna have some, gonna spur some real important discussion, but an informed discussion, because now we understand some of the pitfalls of not implementing a digital currency ecosystem in the right way, right? And, and I think the, the whole point around the asset backing, how do you create consumer protection um, as part of the digital currency framework? What sort of regulatory requirements for the players who are introducing some of the private stable coins in the market need to follow? Um, and importantly, I think, as a result of the events over the last couple of weeks, the, the importance of a retail CBDC possibly increases because you then have a digital currency um, variant, if I may call it that, that is governed properly, that has liability in the central bank, so consumers are definitely protected. These are liquid assets. These are going to create a similar level of innovation domestically and cross-border that consumers should expect and will expect from digital currencies in the future. So I think the, the events of the last couple of weeks have been useful in progressing the debate around some of the challenges that need to be addressed um, of, of, around the future digital currency ecosystem, both in the UK and globally, and that sort of coordination um, across different authorities globally is going to be quite important to make sure that the um, uh, global landscape is robust around the variants of digital currency. So the collapse is is a is a, a well, I'm not saying it's a positive thing, but it's it's a, it's a realization that we have to work harder, I think, and and work within it, regulation. Indeed. So, Paul, the consortium itself is called the DFMI Consortium, um, Digital Financial Market Infrastructure. Can you tell me why that name is used and why and what makes it significant? 
one of the uh, so one of the key things about this uh, consortium approach is that the the thinking, the learning, the 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 approach is centered around the infrastructure play versus uh, what's being done in other markets, which would be you know to create a central bank digital currency or to create some sort of digital currency asset for this new digital currency future and then uh, try to figure out how do we make it interoperable how do we get it to work on the existing rails how do we get it to work on the next generation of rails what do we do then uh our approach uh has been one of uh so this is from the smd group side uh, our company we've been working on the infrastructure solution since 2016 officially and uh we come from the telecommunications world where infrastructure is our, our core, is, is what we understand best. So we're able to apply the learnings from the telecommunications industry, the learnings from the cloud and data center, data center uh, infrastructure design to the creation of the infrastructure for the new uh, digital currency future. And that's exactly what the FMI part is about. It's the financial market infrastructure, which means that central bank digital currencies can sit on this platform. Uh, but if regulators are, are so inclined, it could also support other forms of digital currency and other digital assets in the future. So it is the idea is that you're creating this new highway or this new internet for money, so to speak, which uh, then has the uh, things like uh, compliance and regulation and so forth uh, baked into the infrastructure layer which will then translate to every asset that sits on this infrastructure following those rules that have been set by regulators or, or follow the compliance and regulatory uh, side of things following the digital identity aspects of it so we focus on the infrastructure which then allows anything else to sit on it with complete uh you know uh yeah, compliance with the, the the rules that have been set so it's got compliance built in baked in okay that makes sense um and then kunal you mentioned earlier the uh, the green paper uh, was phase one. Uh, how long will the next phase be, this pilot? Um, and uh, when do you expect to get some uh, recommendations? When, when, when will they arrive? The pilot itself is meant to run for anywhere between 18 to 24 months. And we're hoping to kick off the pilot around September, October this year. Um, in the meantime, we are working very hard to uh, pull together um, a lot of the information around tech architecture, formation of the consortium, um, the use cases that are going to be tested as part of the pilot itself. And we believe that it's actually going to be a series of parts in that 18 to 24 months based on the different use cases, which will be deployed to test the different design principles that we talked about earlier. So I think you will, you should expect, the market should expect a series of white papers and um, uh, observations throughout the next 18 to 24 months, as we progress certain use cases addressing some of the design principles so that we can start to release information and have conversations and discussions in the market to continue to improve the requirements of the infrastructure, because it's gonna be a learning exercise for everyone, right? There isn't an infrastructure uh, uh, that exists today that is gonna fulfill the requirements of a future ETL CBDC landscape. So the, the, the pilot is an attempt to continue developing over the next couple of years the infrastructure um, that will be sufficiently all of the requirements, right, from compliance to security to resilience, fulfillment of the innovation potential. So this is going to be a very robust um, examination of what's working. And uh, that makes sense. So, Paul, you're the tech lead and, and, and like pay with dot glass is at the heart of the project. You said earlier you were talking about the Internet for the world's money and you also call uh, digital in, uh, money a human right. 
Can you explain some of the, the philosophy behind your thinking there? Sure, absolutely. So as I mentioned before, we are coming from the telecommunications space originally, and uh, we're very well versed in the design of telecommunications infrastructure solutions and uh, cloud and data center infrastructure solutions. And uh, from around 2011, we became very familiar with the blockchain world. Uh, that's where we you know, officially entered the blockchain world and experimented quite a bit. And we've seen the similarities in what's needed uh, in terms of what led to the creation of the World Wide Web and the creation of the, well, the internet as a non-military uh, solution. Uh, in the early days. And we realized that the future of digital currencies is very much like the World Wide Web. But in this case, it's not about trying to just move money over existing rails and then say, okay, well, this is now connected to the internet. We see it more along the lines of a dedicated network is required to, uh, you know, built for purpose for the movement of, of uh, digital currency and designed with things like cybersecurity and resilience and privacy and so forth in mind. So it is in a way, I think we're at the stage right now of uh, the equivalent of where the World Wide Web would have been in 1991, where at that point, there is no way to imagine YouTube or TikTok or any of these uh, uh, services that we take for granted today. There was no WhatsApp. And I think what we're trying, what we're aiming for here is to create the foundation upon which the equivalent of YouTube and the equivalent of WhatsApp for digital currency world will be created by, you know, the ingenious minds that, uh, you know, that we haven't even necessarily met as yet, or those that we do know who are now thinking about what comes next. So in a way, we're laying down those rails, that foundation for money, but in the, in the same way that the rails for the World Wide Web were uh, created. That's very as exciting. As far as our view on... Yeah, so it, it's quite a massive undertaking. It's very ambitious, but, uh, you know, every every major breakthrough we've had started with a crazy idea. So we shall see. Uh, yeah. uh, but we're all working very hard towards that uh, same goal. And uh, one of the things that's driven me personally is the, the I've looked at uh, how, I've looked at, for example, we're, we're currently in a world where there are about 1.7 billion people over seven, uh, nearly 8 billion uh, global population who are unable to access formal financial services. And that number is only growing. It's not, it's not something that's been corrected, even though we really do have the means at this point. Mobile phone penetration has reached a, a wider uh, part of the world, a wide number of people in the world than, you know, than, uh, than the access to clean drinking water. This isn't right. But we also recognize that as we're moving into the digital currency world and the CBDC future, if we don't take into consideration the unbanked populations today, what will end up happening is that they go from being the unbanked to the excluded from the future digital currency ecosystem. And that's a socioeconomic disaster of epic proportions. I believe that just like uh, some countries have already mandated uh, that internet access should be a human right, and I think that's the right way to go. I also think that access to financial services should be a human right. And then we're doing what we can on this end. We're doing our part to sort of lay down a foundation that takes that into consideration to make sure that every single human being has access to financial services in the future. There should no longer be an unbanked population. It's cool. So it's inclusive, but it's also very inspiring because you're right. Absolutely. Um, you know, in the 90s that we would have TikTok or YouTube. I mean, they just didn't exist. So even I do remember like when Web 1 first came out, I remember thinking, who'd buy a book on the internet? I mean, you, you could go to a bookshop and get one. Of course, what do we all go? Who'd buy clothes on the internet? You know, that of course we all exactly. do. Exactly. So it's, 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 it's hard to imagine what this leap is going to be like in Web, this Web 3 world. Now, of course, the UK is not the first. There's about 90 countries looking at CBDCs. Uh, there's 17 live pilots three full implementations, like one in the Bahamas. Um, is the UK ahead or behind, or are you doing it differently? Question for either of you. I think we're doing it differently. 
we, you don't have any initiative in any of the markets where you know you have a public-private partnership initiative um, being undertaken. Um, I think there are some markets, certainly in the East, who have taken more of an advanced view on CBDC space. But I think um, UK is is definitely um, at the forefront of thinking. Clearly, Bank of England has been um, running their engagement forum and the task force for some time now. Um, the policymakers, the lawmakers, are getting very involved. Clearly, there has been recent announcements by the Treasury um, around uh, uh, creating a, a strong uh, digital currency environment in the UK. Um, I think you know, this space is going to be fascinating over the next few years. Um, and, and, and clearly, I think the, the Western economies have some work to do to, um, to sort of uh, make sure that the leadership position around uh, innovation and financial services is maintained, but it also equally delivers responsibly to the consumer's interests and requirements. Okay, and Paul, do you have any closing comments on um, where the UK is standing at the moment? And if there's any opportunities that you can either, perhaps from, from regarding current implementations, or maybe this is because yours seems to be quite structured. What's your view on that? No, I, I actually fully agree with Kunal. I'd like to add to that, that uh, I think at this point, the Bank of England's approach of uh, reaching out to the public to ask for you know the, the public in, uh, feedback and opinions and, and uh, advice on their CBDC strategy was quite a bold and unique move. Uh, most other central banks have more or less just started their own initiatives and then invited the private sector and so forth and uh, you know, got the public opinion quite late in the game. What Bank of England has done is the correct way, I believe, to do this because it's not something that can be done by one entity, one institution due to its severe complexity. There are so many layers and so many aspects of this that need to be considered very carefully before you can consider uh, going down this road. That uh, the Bank of England has done the right thing by reaching out to the to the, uh, to the public for you know through their consultations uh, by pushing this as a private sector initiative. The idea here is that we're able to sort of meet Bank of England halfway. They you know it's not something they should have to do by themselves, uh, and we're quite happy to to lend the expertise that the private sector actually has. Uh, through an industry efforts, not just a single company, because again, it's, it's a very difficult uh, thing, a very difficult challenge to meet. So having the best in class and the, the most experienced entities in the various areas from RegTech to FinTech to everything else, uh, that needs, you know, and telecommunications and so forth needs to be considered, uh, having them all on a single, in, in single environment, working from the private sector side and then working hand in hand with the regulators and public sector, I think this is the opportunity for the UK to showcase to the world a complete solution that works and actually has a future uh, in, in a way that other markets have not attempted, despite you know some others having started first. Yeah, no, it's interesting. I think you're right there as well, because private and government, it needs to work together because it's, it's you can't have one without the other. You can't impose it as has been done in some other regimes. Um, and there's so much benefits from the private sector with your experience. And I love the fact that I say your empirical evidence this next pilot, the next, uh, you know, up to two years, it's going to be very important. I think the learning is going to be huge. And it, it's it's only two years. It's fast. We're talking it's pretty speedy. So, um, well, I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing more. Project New Era. Thank you very much, Paul and Kunal. And um, I'll check in again soon. I hope when we get some of those first learnings. Thank you indeed for your time today. Thank you, Julian. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Julian. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the latest Irish Tech News podcast. Check back every day for the latest episode. You can follow us on Twitter at Irish underscore tech news on Facebook. 
facebook.com forward slash Irish Tech News. On LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Irish dash tech dash news. On Instagram, instagram.com forward slash Irish Tech News dot IE. And on TikTok, tiktok.com forward slash at Irish Tech News.